Hi, you're listening to Cask Heads, a podcast for whiskey, about whiskey. I'm your host, Jordan, and with me is my brother, Luke. And it's a very sleepy time episode, because I'm very tired today. Yeah, we're recording a bit later than usual. You know, in these these dark winter nights where it's the whole, like, ooh, 10 to 6. <laughs> I, th- I legitimately did think it was 8pm. <laughs> yeah. I've done a lot of exercise today. I'm all like, bleh. All took it out. Uh, yeah. Oh, bless. It's been a while since I've run. <laughs> Sorry this episode is a week late. We just kind of ran out of time. Uh, work schedules did not line up. Yeah, I was really busy with work. But... And um, <sighs> Dad did a good job. I just couldn't couldn't get him on so close. He, he gets you used to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So um, said, there's me just being really, really tired. But uh, hopefully we will be back on schedule now. So what are we on about today? Whiskey. Whiskey. Whoa, mixing it up. Yeah. Oh, by the way, full disclaimer, 100% less spooky episode this year, this time, please. I can't promise 100%. I I'm can, sorry. I can promise... Halloween has been and gone. I can promise 40% less spoop. <laughs> But no more. That still leaves sixty percent in the in the in the bag. Exactly. We're always sixty percent spoop at least. So today I thought we'd talk about the independent uh, bottlers of whiskey, Gordon McPhail. Ooh, I've heard that name before. Probably, yeah. I, I, I know I talk about Gordon McPhail a lot. Um, I can't pick. I couldn't pick him up a crowd though. Like if there was a lineup. I wouldn't be able to. If there was like some kind of prison mugshot lineup, yeah, and, yeah, and you were supposed to identify them, you'd be like, "Well, so Gordon McPhail's." The company was founded back in 1815 by James Gordon and John Alexander McPhail. Ah, yes, and John Alexander McPhail wept. <laughs> yes, for there was no more whiskey for him to conquer. <laughs> uh, the business actually began as a uh, grocery store, and uh, they also happened to import fortified wines and act as a broker for scotch. Uh, back then, of course, whiskey was uh, a little different to how we see it today. Far more kind of blended was consumed by uh, people, and things uh, like single malts that were far too heavy and inconsistent in, in style. That were, it really was seen as an inferior product, as we've discussed before. 1815. What was going on then? Uh, well, the War of 1812 was uh, just three years previously. You try and bring the 1812 war into everything. I mean, come on, it's right there. You're like, uh, 2006. Well, if you subtract the War of 1812. No, go on, go on. Uh, uh, it's a sleepy episode. I can't do maths. <laughs> I've been on a Zoom call for five hours and today. And whose fault's that? I know. And in the end, I got booted from the server anyway, because, like, my Wi-Fi was so bad. I was like... <laughs> I just literally text everyone being like, all right, I'm off, bye. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like I say, it was founded by these two gentlemen, and uh, they actually hired a, a young gentleman named John Urquhart. Ooh. Now, um, he was hired as a young apprentice, and he actually demonstrated a, a very good understanding of uh, whiskey stock management. Uh, part of his job was procuring supplies of high-quality spirits, he also created a lot of house blends for customers' uh, kind of needs in these recipes, effectively. And his kind of skill became very evident to the to the two owners. And he was actually made a senior partner. And eventually, when the two founders passed away, he was the uh, sole head of the company. Whoa! Now it's oh, important. Yeah. yeah. Now it's important mentioning that uh, even to this day, it is still owned by the Urquhart family. Yeah, so he became the sole head of the company, basically. And um, part of his understanding that it wasn't just the spirit that needed to be high quality. As we've discussed before, it was the wood in which the casks, the casks that are used in which the whiskey's matured, rather, uh, that is a really big kind of uh, influence on the consistent quality that you need. Uh, in a lot of ways, the Urquhart family, particularly um, 
uh, not just John, but his son, who we'll mention in a, in a little bit later, um, they had a very big kind of um, step up in, in quality compared to a lot of their competitors. Mm. Now, these days, single malts are, are more readily available, as, as we know. I mean, you can go into supermarkets or whatever, and you can still see, you can find a single malt, no problem. There's, there's usually at least four or five. Um, but back in, in kind of like the pre-1960s, it, it really was a completely different kettle of fish. One of the biggest steps that was taken by um, Gordon MacPhail, the company, uh, in the move ahead of their time, uh, as a lot of people view it, was the production of their distillery label series. Is it Gordon and MacPhail or Gordon MacPhail? The company is Gordon and MacPhail. But you keep saying Gordon MacPhail. Gordon and MacPhail. Okay, so I keep forgetting to put the and in. I just didn't it. know if it was Gordon and MacPhail or Gordon MacPhail. From here on, if I say Gordon MacPhail, it's Gordon and MacPhail. Oh, That's a fair question. I will, I will let that slide. But if you like, it's Gordon and oh, MacPhail. I recognise that bottle now. Yeah, one of the, one of the biggest steps that they took was the um, the the production of what was called the distillery labels. Um, and back in the 1930s, James's son. George, he contacted a lot of the distilleries that they did business with, and he said, would it be all right if they started buying more stocks up and maturing it themselves? So they effectively bought the new make spirit off the distilleries, and they put it into their own casks to further mature it. Back in the 1930s, there certainly wasn't the demand for single malt that you get now, and the distilleries were quite happy. They said, yeah, you know, you're buying our product, and as long as the quality maintains for their name to be associated with it, it was all very... Um, very above board and everything and uh, and so by, by the time that you kind of get towards the 60s um, they've already built quite a stock portfolio up by that point and the reason why I'm saying the 60s is because in uh, 1963 is when the first single malt was uh, marketed and sold worldwide by, uh, by a distillery and that was Glenfiddich Wow. Now, back in 63, a lot of their competitors uh, thought they were crazy for doing this because, like I say, there just wasn't a market for single malt. It was viewed as this inferior product. Everyone was buying blends. And Glenfiddich said, no, we're going to um, we're going to market it as a single malt. We think that the quality stands for itself. They put it in a very distinct triangular kind of shaped bottle, which if you've ever seen a Glenfiddich bottle, they, they keep the design to this day. It's just slightly rounded. Since, since 1963, Glenfiddich's been the best-selling single malt in the world, I think. Uh, with the exception of at least one year, to my knowledge, because Glenlivet beat them a few years ago, actually. Uh, but then Glenfiddich just uh, stepped up production the next year and they kept the title kind of thing once again. So it's only really from the early 60s onwards that you start to see the demand for single malts being marketed worldwide. But it is important to note that there were people selling them before this. Glenfiddich gets the recognition, and fair enough to them, you know, they, they are the best-selling single malt. But people were buying and consuming single malts before then. The reason why it's called the Distillery Label Series is because when they were selling these whiskies, obviously, before single malts were getting to that stage, as I've just discussed, lots of distilleries didn't even have their own label for the product. There was no need for it. So uh, often, Gordon McFellows would either use an existing distillery label if they had one, or they would create one for themselves. Um, and it would have the it have to have the distillery name in, in there, and they would also mention it's it's uh, matured by Gordon McFails and uh, bottled to their specifications. Basically, I have to say that even today the distillery label range is uh, still going, and they do some seriously seriously nice whiskies. I mean, Mortlack fifteen year old is a spectacular re release. Mortlack. Mortlack. Yep. We uh, named a, a dog Mortlack. We did name a dog Mortlack. Not that we owned one, but. Not that we owned the dog. We just named the dog. Yeah, Mortlack. we just name people's dogs for them. They don't know that we named their dog. <laughs> Although that could be a new service, dog Ooh. naming. You know, you see dog grooming. Maybe we could have a dog naming yeah. service. Are you tired of your dog having just a normal name like Patch or Splodge or Rufus? Rufus. Actually, no. I, I like Rufus. We should probably keep Rufus. Woofus. Woofus. Well, 
Come to us for your dog naming needs. Um, spoilers, it will almost always be a distillery name. Or a really obscure reference, Pegasus. Or mythical creatures. We, we don't yeah. like mythical creatures. So, yes, the distillery label range, like I say, Mortlack, great whiskey. They're 15-year-old. They do a 25-year-old Mortlack as well, which is spectacular. But, I mean, the, the, the money for the 25-year-olds are a lot more for obvious reasons. They do a very nice Linkwood 15 and 25. They do a wonderful Scapper, uh, but it's very, very limited release on the Scapper uh, distillery release because, obviously, there's not a lot of stocks uh, available. But that is a really nice aged Scapper. What's more popular now, blends or single malts? It depends uh, what country we were looking at. Oh. So, um, I think we've discussed it before. If you look at the worldwide sales of single malt, um, America spends the most money on single malt. However, France buys the most whiskey in the world, but yeah. they buy predominantly blends, which are less expensive, so not as much money spent on it. Um, but volume-wise, France France wins. Uh, I mean, vol- if you're looking at pure volume, and probably value, actually, across the board, then blends still sell more. I love how I always ask a question in which an answer could either be yes, no, or it depends. And then three minutes later, the question's answered. Blends are more popular. Okay. Uh, they certainly account for m- most of the sales. But having said that, single malts create a lot of money. Yeah. In the 1960s, a new range was added, uh, and this was named the Connoisseur's Choice range. Now, Connoisseur's Choice was the creation of John Oquat's son, who we've already mentioned, George. Um, now, it's, it's worth mentioning as well, um, with the family, it's not like George just got an easy ride into the business. He had to work from the bottom up. He was kind of sweeping the floors, uh, learning all aspects of the business before he was brought in properly kind of thing. Wow, it's, that is not how it works now. It is with the Urquharts. They always insist that they have this kind of understanding going on of the uh, of the family business. Sorry, I meant most corporations. No, I, I get it, but... What's it called? Uh, nepotism? Nepotism, thanks. Uh, and, and so, George, he had the idea of the Connoisseur's Choice range. I mean, he also had a lot to do with the, like I say, the distillery labels range before, but when he got to the 60s and this marketing of, of single malts really started to kick off, um, this is when Connoisseur's Choice came out, and um, it, he wanted to show showcase the wide range of uh, flavours available from single malt distilleries. And like I say, it was at a time when people were really only able to try a handful of them that were available. Uh, so Connoisseur's Choice actually proved to be uh, very, very popular, actually. And in 2018, the brand celebrated its 50th year on shelves. It was doing that well. They had a, a 50th kind of anniversary of Connoisseur's Choice alone. Um, and to celebrate this, the whole range kind of got this lovely revamp. Uh, they updated the presentation. Uh, they allowed the company to kind of showcase uh, some of the truly spectacular whiskies they have to offer. I don't mean in a nasty way. It just did the whiskey more justice yeah uh for for a long time before that the connoisseur's choice range the packaging it was a little underwhelming let's put it that way it left much to be desired well no it wasn't terrible but when when it was compared to other things on shelves like distillery own releases it was starting to show that it, it needed some kind of um mm. they're not that bad but like i say you can um, you can understand why they needed updating and so like i say they went for this new bottle design they they, they kind of revamped the series and connoisseur's choice now is kind of highlighting some of their best whiskies in stock i mean their warehouses gordon mcphail's are based in elgin and they have some wonderful warehouses full of seriously nice um whiskey casks and everything they are so focused on the wood they only ever use first fill and second fill uh, casks the they won't let inferior oak get used. They don't even base it on the fact that how many fills it's had. It's more on the, the individual score of the cask. So just because it's a first fill cask, if it's still not living up to their high expectations, they won't use it. Yeah, they ha- they have to do like a maths test, an English oh, yeah. test written, right, you know, like basic chemistry at least. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Very high pressure environment for those casts, but and and one of the big things to to mention about the concert's choice, each batch is very limited, and I mean you're talking kind of like often 
only 200, 300 bottles kind of to a batch. And it really doesn't leave them much room for error. When you're vatting, I mean, even if you're only vatting 20 casks, it doesn't leave you much room for error, which they do with some of their other stuff. But the more casks you have in a vatting of a single malt, the more the leeway there is for the odd inferior cask, you can still kind of hide it amongst the others. They really have to have some of the best casks available for that. But arguably, if there's less available then it'll be more demand. Yeah, I suppose you could look at it that way, but they don't. They're more... They There's some times that you get the feeling some whiskies are released just for collectors. Gordon McPhail's are the kind of people that would rather the whiskey got drunk than just collected. Oh, that's nice. They care more about the whiskey than... So, yes, the Connoisseur's Choice range, it does cost a little bit of money, I won't lie. I mean, you're, you're usually talking like £80, £90 plus for a bottle. That's not bad, is it? It's though? not too bad, actually. And the quality of whiskey you're getting for £80, £90 a bottle is amazing. Um, quite often, the cask strengths, you're getting... All natural cask flavour through there as well. Uh, if they do kind of add some water to it, it's, it's still kept at usually 46 at the very least. It's it, I don't think I've seen one below 46 yet. So you're still getting a lovely amount of that cask influence. And so, like I say, Constance Choice is designed to highlight some of the best whiskies they have on offer. I mean, some of the seriously expensive ones. You're talking like 30-year-old whiskies and stuff they've got, where it's, it's just a single cask that they bottle for limited runs. Um, and and lovely distillers as well. I think I saw there was like a 33-year-old Mortlack or something the other day, or it was a 30-something-year-old Mortlack, and um, it was just a one-off release they were doing. Wow. And it's also worth noting, um, not too long ago, in the grand scheme of things, Gordon McPhail's, they broke the record for the oldest bottle of whiskey sold. They actually were able to bottle and sell a 75-year-old whiskey. Wow. Which, as you know, because of the dilution of the casks and things, when it gets below 40, you can no longer call it a whiskey. And also, um, maintaining that the whiskey is of a palatable stage because the wood hasn't overwhelmed it and everything. Getting it to 75 is a serious work of art. Yeah, that's Um, quite odd. That's older than both of us combined, that's for sure. Sure is. Sure sure diddly is. (laughs) (laughs) That's just basic math. (laughs) Um, so yeah, they they have the stocks available to them. I mean, not too long ago, we you were kind of seeing like fifty year old whiskies from Gordon McPhail's, no problem. I mean, now the stock's been hit a little harder. But... Yeah, moving on uh, back in nineteen ninety eight, the Ben Romack Distillery reopened its doors to distilling a hundred years after its original founding. Ben Romack is locating in. Go for it. Perez. You can go back to reading now. Oh, okay, so moving on. Uh, back in 1998, the hey. Ben <laughs> The information I gave was correct. But some of it was uh, pronounced incorrectly. Literally only Forez. Back in 1998, the Ben Romack distillery uh, was actually reopened by Gordon McVales. The Urquhart family had bought the distillery back in 1993, uh, and they took five years to kind of get it fully refurbished to the standards that they wanted it. And it was it, in 98 when it opened its doors again and started distilling. It was 100 years uh, since its original founding. So the coincidence... It's a millennial. It's reopened as a millennial. It reinvented itself as a millennial. <laughs> poor, poor. Born again millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a born-again millennial. What does that mean? I'm a second-generation millennial. <laughs> <laughs> I love for someone to say I'm a second-generation millennial. Like, what? <laughs> oh, that should be a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that might be a Cascades t-shirt right there. I'm a second-generation Yeah, I like it. And the cask, the cask whisperer cometh. <laughs> cask goblins. Uh, yeah, so they, they bought uh, Ben Romack Distillery and they reopened it. Um, and it was located in the town of Forrest, uh, which is in Speyside. And they... 
they wanted to create an older style of Speyside whiskies. You see, back in the 50s and 60s, or before that rather, it was a lot heavier and, and was often peated due to the, uh, the the peat being used as a fuel source for malting. I mean, this was Highland peat. It was more of a woody, earthy smoke, as we've discussed before. But it was still a very different style to how we have Speyside today. And the style changed in the 50s and 60s. Um, so it so that you could go into blending. You really don't need a lot of peaty whiskey in a blend. Um, and so there was really wasn't the need for it. But Gordon McPhail's, when they looked at their stocks in their warehouses and things, they had whiskies that weren't only distilled in the 50s and 60s or, or even before then, but also bottled. So, uh, I mean, they had some... They, they do have a range going back. It's, it's actually very interesting. They have kind of like just bottles um, and they'll show the same whiskey releases over different years to maintain that quality of flavour profiles and things like that and so they can look back and, and they also have like ledgers uh, for, for the ratios and things like that uh, and they can look back and see that the quality is still being maintained huh. what they did was they also had this chance to kind of try whiskies that were like I say distilled in the in the 40s 50s and 60s and also bottled back then and so they were able to see what this older style was like and that's why they were able to create such a, a, a nice old-fashioned style so accurately or at least they say they never let me personally try this older style yet have um, you been to the distillery no I haven't been to Ben Romack Distillery actually but if you're listening Ben Romack Distillery I think you need to help me further my knowledge help me to help you yeah, help me to help you exactly I have a badge and an umbrella from your distillery you have an umbrella yeah. from the distillery or by the distillery well by the distillery I didn't steal the distillery umbrella that would be a move I like it? the thought that the distillery has one umbrella Ella Ella <laughs> I didn't know you had a Ben Romack umbrella it's probably because you always leave it somewhere oh that white one that white one yeah ah oh, dip <laughs> they created this lovely heavier style of a space side um, now what's important to mention as well with Ben Romack it's carrying on this uh, high quality wood for a start they only ever use first fill casks for their maturation it gives you that most intense kind of interaction from with the whiskies the the range is quite good they well it's just very good actually quite good doesn't do it justice they do a 10 and a 15 year old in the standard range now both of these are matured in sherry and american oak casks both first fill and they're petered to about 12 parts per million so it's about a talisker level actually to put it in context and it's lovely kind of a uh, bit rich bit smoky and a nice kind of cereal biscuity maltiness comes through in it as well it's very autumnal i love ben Romack this time of year, actually. Uh, I, I love Ben Romack all year, really. The pumpkin spice of uh, yeah, it's, whiskey. It's the pumpkin spice of whiskey. Um, they then do a peat smoke version, which is heavily peated uh, compared to that. They, they whack that phenolic count up to about 42 parts per million. Really does carry up. Uh, they also do an organic whiskey. Uh, the organic whiskey this time uh, is unpeated because the organic barley they sourced was unpeated. They've also done some lovely wine cask finishes before, and they just released a 21-year-old in their standard range as well. Does the organic one come in like a a, a weaved bottle? No, it doesn't come in like some kind of hempian basket or something. Surrounded by straw. Why would you weave a bottle, by the way? Wouldn't it leak? Hey. <laughs> but I am assured that the whiskey is free range. <laughs> ben Romack Distillery, wonderful, wonderful distillery. Uh, if you do get a chance to go up there, I thoroughly recommend it. They're they are lovely people. And and so yeah. Uh, also worth noting is that Gordon McPhail, uh, they are building a second distillery, or it may even be built. I haven't had a chance to find out since we've gone into lockdown. I have a sneaking suspicion it may actually be completed now. Huh. And and they have a second distillery now, so they are building up that whiskey portfolio as well. Or um, now the current Gordon McPhail range, which is always worth mentioning, seeing as we're talking about them. Nah. So first of all, 
they do the discovery range. The idea of the uh, of this range is to highlight the three core flavour influences on Scotch whisky, which we've discussed before. So you have like American oak cast matured whisky, you have sherry oak cast matured whisky, and peated whisky. A lot more goes into Scotch than just that, but those are your three core principles, if you like. Yeah, if uh, whisky was doing a plank, the cask could be the core. <sighs> Uh, and the Discovery range is great for this. They often pick distilleries that you wouldn't necessarily get to try. Um, and even if it is one that you've tried before, it's always different. This is one of the things I do love about Gordon McPhail as well across all their range. Even if you've tried that distillery before, because they've matured it themselves to their own specification, uh, they bottle it when they deem it's ready, they bottle it at the strength they deem it should be, it will be different to any other distillery release you've already tried. The labels are quite distinctive to find. They All the bottles look the same. Um, now, if it's got a green label and it's bottled in, it's in a green tube, it is always American oak cast matured. If it's purple instead, it is always sherry oak cast matured. And if it's light grey, it will always be a peated version. Huh, weird um, colour choices. Well, it's just, just the, this, the system they've gone with, and they do some really, really nice ones. I mean, the American oak cask ones I've tried. Tomatin, they've done a lovely tomatin. They've done a great Bao Blair, which is the one we'll be reviewing later on. Uh, they also do a Tormor, which is really nice. And Tormor's a distillery you really don't get to try that often. Um, in sherry oak casks, they've done Glen Roths. They've done Boona Harvin. Uh, Milton Duff, another distillery you don't get to try very often. Really lovely sherry cask whiskey, all three of them. Um, and then heavily petered, you've got things like a, a lovely 13-year-old Kalila. It's possibly one of my favourite Kalilas, that one. Um, and they also do a heavily petered Boona Harbin, which, again, something you don't get to try all that often. You have a lot of... <laughs> this is possibly my favourite whiskey whiskeys. <laughs> well... That's possibly my favourite version of Kalila distilleries. I don't have many of those. Then uh, they also do, after that, you move up to the distillery label range, which we've talked about. Uh, and in these are the ones where the distilleries have trusted Gordon McPhail's with their spirits en enough to let them put it on the labels, uh, put it uh, to their, specif their own specifications. Um, and this is one of the biggest things. I can't stress this enough. Really aren't that many independent bottlers that are allowed to buy new make spirit off distillers and mature it themselves. More often than not, it, it's, it doesn't go like that. Most bottlers will buy casks off the distilleries uh, and do it that way. The distillery label range, already quoted a few of my favourites. So you got the, the Mortlac, as I said, the Linkwood, the Scapper, all great whiskies. Did do a Glenbergie. I don't know if that's now Connoisseur's Choice, actually, now I think about it. And then we're on to the Connoisseur's Choice range. Now, these can be bottled at cask strength or they can sometimes be uh, diluted to a suitable bottling strength. They, they do cost more than the others. Uh, I mean, like when you're talking the best part of £90 usually for a bottle but in my opinion I have to say the whiskey is £90 worth of whiskey it is amazing I know I said that the Discovery Range Kalila is my favourite one and it probably still is but they do a lovely Connoisseur's Choice Kalila which is a close very close second I think the only reason why it doesn't win is because the Discovery one is a lot more affordable have you ever had a whiskey that isn't worth the price or do you not want to call them out um yes I've had whiskeys that aren't worth the, worth the price in my opinion but that's usually because you've got to think about the budget. Hmm. So, just because I think it's not worth the price doesn't mean others wouldn't. A lot of the whiskies I've tried in the past are ones I wouldn't normally just be able to afford a bottle of. Yeah. And then I think, well, yes, I could afford the bottle, but could I afford to drink the whiskey is the other side of it. <laughs> and so I think in that aspect, because if you're feeling guilty about drinking the whiskey, I think then that takes the experience away from you is, is the best way I could describe that. In the most politician-like answer possible. What are you going to say? So you... <laughs> yes, I've had some whiskies in the past that have not been worth the price, and quite often they're very old whiskies. Um... But having said that, not always the case with very old whiskies. There are some lovely old whiskies as well. I'm not saying they're all terrible. Um, I mean, I've had some very young whiskies that I probably would not buy 
myself. Uh, quite a recent one, actually. <laughs> it wasn't the cake one, though, was it? Oh, no, no. Well, no, no, the cake one was all right. So I think we will move on to... The tasting? The tasting of Gordon McPhail's Discovery Range Balblair. Uh, now, this is a 12-year-old Balblair, and it's bottled at 43%. I apologise to our avid listenership. I'm just so tired today. Oh, I'm sure we'll find one or two in there. Oh, gosh, I hope so. That's a very pale Jesus. Well, as I was saying, entirely matured in American oak casks for a start. It looks like you in winter. Gee, thanks. Um, now, Val Blair, the spirit from the distillery is, is lovely. It always always has a, a lovely kind of honeyed sweetness to it, actually. I really like Val Blair. It's quite an unusual distillery, actually, because it's in the Highlands, um, and the Highlands do tend to be a lot more big-bodied than this one. And it's quite high up there. It's not far from Glenmorangie, kind of location-wise, and actually Glenmorangie style as well, a little bit. Um, entirely American oak cast matured. It's... Uh, there's lovely sweetness to it it's very fruity as well I always pick up kind of pears apples that kind of green orchard fruit side of things uh, there's a little bit of an oaky spice on the finish it's not bad it's not bad there we go people it's not bad it kind of let like, me just phone up the Oikart family right now and say hello your discovery range it's not bad I felt a bit of a headache brewing after a few sniffs to be honest because it kind of does that to me when I sniff alcohol uh, so I mean like I say on the nose let's uh, let's do this properly I suppose it's not paint strippy no. it's not paint strippy you're right None of the ones we've tried have been paint strippy. So on the nose, like I say, lovely, sweet, kind of honeyed side, almost like pear drop sweets, actually. <laughs> I think um, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's actually, on that way, um, not dissimilar to a whiskey that we were previously talking about a few episodes ago. Uh, a few episodes ago, McMurrah. They have that kind of lovely honeyed sweetness comes through and a little bit of a pear's kind of side. I don't remember the things we talk about. McMurrah, the Swedish whiskey, um, the Troll Share. Ah, yes, please refer to them only via the weird jokes yeah. I do and nothing else. I have to think of your weird jokes so that I can get it through to you sometimes yeah I have to admit I do tend to think of Balblair as a summer whiskey as we were you know we were talking about Ben Romack being a lovely autumnal whiskey I love Balblair in the summer um, so yeah on the taste wise it's lovely and light yeah we've only just got around to taste um, lovely and light it's still got a bit of that sweetness you get the green orchard fruits again and there's a lovely kind of oak finish uh, oak spice kind of on the finish it really isn't it ends on a dry note uh, and I think that's maybe why I like Balblair uh, the discovery of Balblair so much because it goes through these lovely stages and it's a really complex dram for the uh, for the money. Well, it's the question time. It question is. time. A day later, I've listened to the episode again, so I actually know things as opposed to me not remember anything because a whole day had passed. Really, so what I do remember is from literally just listening to the own, our own episode is they're really picky about casks. They adopted someone into their whiskey family. They, That's a strong term. <laughs> they um, they have a colour code system that's like purple, green, and another one, depending on what it's made in. For what? For what cask it's in. Uh, where does the colour code system apply, though? On the connoisseurs. No, on the Discovery? Yes, Discovery. On the range. Discovery one. Um, they redid their bottles recently, right? A couple of years ago, yep. but yeah. They've sold, like, the oldest whiskey. It was 75 years old or something. They set the record. I don't know if it's been broken since. Um, and they are building a new distillery. Very slash true. Slash have maybe built one. Very true. And they also own another distillery. Ah, yes. And they started in liqueur. No. Wine? 
they started off as a greengrocer that happened to import fortified wines exactly. and act as a bro- broker for scotch. I'll take that one as a win. So I think I've answered every pre-question you might have. You've actually done very well there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, except what's the name of the distillery? Gordon and MacPhail. No, that's the name of the company. What's the name of the distillery that they own that's an old-fashioned style of Speyside? I have no idea of that one. Ben Romack. Ah, dip. That we go on to talk about for a while. Oh. I will actually, yeah, you've done very well there. Um, Thanks. It's pretty rare. It's I think from rare. now on you need to listen to them again. No, I feel like that's cheating. I don't know. It feels like maybe you're learning something. I like to be, fr- yeah, but I'm going to forget it in mm, 32.1 seconds. Well, I, th- I think we can uh, move on to the sign-off then. Is that everything? That concludes the episode, yeah. Oh, that concludes the episode. Okay, guys, so this has been Cascades. Thank you for listening. I'm sorry it's been such a sleepy episode, but maybe if you're tired too, you'll feel like you're part of the team of sleepiness. Hey, if you're listening, you are part of the team. Hey, that's right, sport. You're real, you're real. And if you're not listening, how are you listening to this then? And if you're not listening, then you're still part of the team. Yeah. You're, you're an honorary team member. So maybe it's a sleepy podcast and maybe you listen to it whilst going to sleep like I do with a lot of mine. So if you liked what you heard, please rate, review and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use. It really does help us and more importantly may lead to others listening and discovering this show. Normally we're a bit more high energy. Sometimes hey, some, we're not. Some of us have had pretty high energy this whole time. So... You can also visit our website or send us an email if you have any questions. The links are within the description below. It's also worth mentioning, as I've said before, by all means, uh, you can visit the Wee Dram Whiskey Shop in Bakewell or go on their website, uh, weedram.co.uk. They really are a a great uh, company and they they do provide all these whiskeys we talk about. It's always worth mentioning as well, as do other shops. And as always, we'll leave you with this one editing goof. If there is one, if not, it might just be me falling asleep. Thank you. And goodbye. Bye. Hey, future me. This is to be edited in to the start after I've done the intro. Um, sorry that this episode is uh, actually a week late. We just kind of. Why are you ran explaining this to yourself? Oh, you're. <laughs> I thought you were still talking to future you. <laughs>